It's a new day and a new Fabric Podcast. We're starting a new conversation with a new guy. These first few weeks of Ian McConnell's time in the driver's seat of Fabric can feel new in all kinds of ways. That might bring some uncertainty, curiosity, questions, excitement, concern. All of those things can help tell us something, and they signal some new growth together. Maybe we'll all find some new things out about ourselves, but for right now, let's hear from the new guy. Hey, guy, what you doing? Hey, guy, where you going? Who's that guy? Who's that guy? Who's that guy? It's Ian. Woo! Oh! And, and so begins season one of <laughs> New Guy. <laughs> good morning, everybody. So good to be with you all. So yeah, I'm new here. Uh, I'm Ian. It's good to, good to see you in the flesh. I've been saying kind of all morning, it was really kind of a stunning thing to walk in here and realize this isn't just a two-dimensional YouTube space, but you exist in person. That's very cool. Um, and I'm really, really, really excited to be with you. So the whole purpose of this series, uh, New Guy, is to kind of get to know each other, start getting to know each other a little bit better. And so I just, you know, I'll hit some highlights for you. I'm Ian. I'm Rachel's husband. I'm Raleigh and Sigrid's dad. Uh, let's see, what else? I love live music, so this already seeing Chris Tripolino in concert and the band. This, I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> uh, I'm a Timberwolves fan, uh, so for those of you keeping score, this is the first good year I've had in 18 years. Uh, love, love basketball. Um, a little too short to play it well. Kind of funny, I had a dream two weeks ago on a Wednesday night that I was playing basketball and I, I hit a three. I just drained it, nailed it, swish. And, uh, and I woke up with the worst knee pain. <laughs> so I'm 37, and I'm already starting to feel that, like, you know, <laughs> the age starting to, and I know everyone else who's older than me is rolling their eyes at me right now. Uh, but I learned what the word bursitis means um, and was walking with a peg leg for a week. It was great. I was very nervous that I'd show up today with an immobilizer on. Um, what else? I'm, I'm really into uh, trying at least my best in community to materialize goodness and kindness and squishy tender love in the world. And I hope that we can all do some of that together. Okay, and before I go on, I just big, big thank you uh, to everybody, I, like I walked in today and it's just chaos, right? There's chairs getting set up and there's uh, rehearsals going on and there's coffee being made. And so big applause for everybody who's been holding down the fort and who shows up every week to make this happen. Thank you. I mean, that's really incredible. And a huge big thank you to the staff at Fabric, uh, um, who I started on Wednesday, and they have just been, they have been the fire hose that I'm drinking from. They are my best coaches this week, and cheerleaders, and so to all of you, 
um, on staff, Heidi and Melissa and Chris and Della and Jen and Katie. Uh, thank you for your work holding down the fort here too. So thank you, thank you, thank you. What an incredible staff. So like I said, I just wanted to hit on some of the kind of highlights of who I am and where I've been and kind of what brought me here, what excites me about this place, um, knowing full well that one day isn't enough for you to know me very well and for me to know you very well. So it's going to be a process, right, of learning about each other and getting to know each other, um, and that's all right, right? Thumbs up? Sweet. And if anything I say inspires a question that you might have, I have great news. Next week, we're going to probe your curiosity a little bit and do a question and response time to get to know each other a little bit more. So we would love to get as many of those questions in, like, starting today. So if you have a question, feel free to put it on your communications card. I just learned what that is this week. And pop it in, and we'll, we'll collect those. You can write an email, there's social media, all sorts of ways to submit questions. And we'll take them live next week too. So if anything I say inspires a question, please do make note of that. Okay, so I am from a faraway land called St. Louis Park. <laughs> I was born and raised in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Uh, my parents met at Westwood Lutheran Church when they were teenagers in St. Louis Park. My grandpa was the custodian there. Uh, my father-in-law, Rachel's dad, was, uh, was, a, was the pastor there, so we also met at Westwood. We're kind of tied to that place. Um, and then that's where I was, was raised, too, um, so far, far away on the other side of Uptown. Um, and I loved it. I had a great experience growing up there. Um, good to be an Oriole, tweet, tweet, uh, from St. Louis Park. Um, yeah. I, it was also in St. Louis Park and growing up in the church that I, I kind of had my first existential crisis of faith and belief and, like, who am I? We're learning, you know, so, sometime right around seven years old, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and so sometime after that, I got thinking about life and death <laughs> a lot. When the doctor said, you have type 1 diabetes, he was kind of saying it like, you know, this is a livable thing. I thought it was a death sentence. Um, so of course, you know, at seven years old, I'm like, oh my God. Um, and so I started, I started having these questions like if, okay, so the universe is how big? And we are how small? And insignificant in the grand scheme of things, and yet I am the central character of my story. And furthermore, what does it feel like the moment after you die? <laughs> Got real dark, real young. <laughs> um, and so I would, I would lay, of course, these thoughts come, when can you guess that they would come? At night, yeah. Trying to fall asleep. The time when a seven-year-old is busy making plans and has a lot of needs. And so I would yell out, Mom, Dad, help, you know, I've got to talk about this. And my dad would come in night after night after night, and I would have the same questions, right? What happens to us? Why are we even here? Is there a point to any of this? And 
after a while, probably it was probably just a few nights, and he, as, a, as a young dad himself, probably going, I have no idea what to say to this. Uh, but he eventually would just put his hand on my chest, and he would say, Ian, I don't know. But we're here now, and I'm glad for that. Wow. And that has been, for me, a foundational posture toward all of this. I don't know, but we're here now, and I'm really glad about that. He eventually brought me into uh, Pastor Tom, my, one of my favorite people, to, uh, Tom Hunstad. He was our youth pastor, um, and now uh, my father-in-law. And uh, so, really love him. Um, and he, uh, he told me when I asked him these questions, uh, you know, what, what happens to us? What, what's the point of any of this? What does it feel like after we die? He eventually landed on another foundational truth for me, which is, it's going to be on your screen, the people who are talking about it don't know. And the people who know aren't talking anymore. <laughs> I thought, all right. Yeah, that's pretty good. And so from an early age, I really had to embrace uh, the, the reality that, that most about what we hear about these conversations, most about what we think we know to be true, right, is kind of based on like para-Christian fan fiction, like Dante's Inferno and white American evangelicalism. Um, we don't actually know anything. And that's such a gift. It's, a, it's kind of amazing. It gives such meaning for, for now, for the moment that we're in. And I just have always then gone back to my dad's response. A hand on the chest. You can do it with me. Hand on the chest. I don't know. But we're here now, and I'm glad about that. So after my experience growing up in existential anxiety child moment, um, I went to college. I started at UMD in Duluth, spent a year there, transferred to the main U, the Twin Cities campus, dropped out, and eventually graduated from Augsburg University. So yeah, woo! Um, God, there's some other Aggies. We're usually kind of a quiet, like, oh, cool. <laughs> but it was my first weekend at, on campus at UMD in Duluth. Uh, there was this, like, hyper-Christian neighbor of mine in the dorms, Griggs Hall, invited me to, there's going to be a speaker. It's going to be great. Uh, I had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, there was no context or, like, agenda for this speaker is just going to be engaging and about like purpose and meaning and whatever. We got there and it was this uh, inner varsity meeting. Um, everybody there apparently had already been part of this group, right? Um, it was this kind of Christian campus thing. And what they ended up doing was playing uh, on the screen uh, the video the portion of that movie, The Passion of the Christ. It was pretty new at the time. Like just the most brutal, violent um, and then like tried to evoke an emotional response and then they said they kind of locked in on me and my roommate 
who, who were the only newbies there. We were the only new people. So talking about a new, new first day experience, they kind of locked in on us and they said, if anyone is new here, we invite you to stand up and we will put our hands on you and pray that you might be saved. And I'm going, what the hell does that even mean? But now I can't stand up. I don't want strangers touching me, right? Uh, so, so, so I looked over to my roommate, Matt, and I was like, we got to get out of here. But I don't know how. They're going to like pin us down. So we got up and literally ran out of the room, <laughs> ran through campus. Uh, UMD is basically a tunnel system. UMD students are gerbils because um, of the cold. And we ran back to our dorm, and the first thing I did, I sent an email to my pastors from my home church and the youth director, and I said, what the <laughs> is that about? I am not familiar with this brand if, if that's what it is to be a Christian, I'm out. Like, oh, I'm out, out. And from that moment, freshman year, 18 years old, the height of wisdom, uh, I, I decided I am not a Christian. I will go to church when my mom wants me to. But I am not a part of that. And, uh, and that was, uh, I would say that was my first major, like, what the heck are we doing to each other moment. It was just a couple years after that that uh, I had transferred back to Minneapolis. Um, was living on campus at the U, and the youth director from my home church, he, he, Nick, his name was Nick Lovis, he sent me a note and he said, hey, would you come? We're going to do a youth group on Wednesday night, and I have a PowerPoint, but I'm going to be playing guitar, and I just need somebody to hit the forward button. Will you hit the forward button? And I was like, yeah, but I'm not part of this. <laughs> um, so I hit the forward button and then the next week they had a PowerPoint too and they needed a, somebody to hit the forward button <laughs> and then the next week they were going to do like an overnight lock-in and they needed somebody to hit the forward button and be before I knew it I was like at youth group every Wednesday as a young adult and like helping out. And really what it was is like this is my home church. These are the kids now in high school who I grew up babysitting. Like, I just loved them because I knew them, right? We were in community together. Um, and so uh, I sort of stumbled into, like, church work. Nick eventually went to be a, a teacher. He went to Hamlin to get his teaching license. Um, now works in the Hopkins School District. And, uh, and he said, I'm leaving. We were on a youth group trip. Um, and we, he said, I'm leaving to be a teacher. Uh, they're going to hire a person for a year to be like the interim. I think you should think about it. I know you're not part of this, but like, <laughs> just think about it. Like, you, you don't have to believe what, you just, just show up, be together. They need you. And I said, oh, okay, fine. Well, long story short is I ended up as the youth director at Westwood for a year. And then I didn't know if I loved it because I knew those kids or if I loved it because I actually loved being a constant presence in other people's lives and being a part of, um, being a part of them. And so I ended up going to uh, figure out, outside of my home church, I had to figure out, do I love this or not? And I went to the most faraway place I could possibly think of, um, 2009, 
right after the election between Obama and McCain to a little town in Alaska called Wasilla, uh, which is really only known, I think, because of Sarah Palin. <laughs> That's her, her town. Um, so I went there, and I worked at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church for three years. They said, we give it one winter and one summer, and then you can leave. Uh, and I said, great, and ended up doing three years there. Came back to Minnesota. I worked at Elk River Lutheran Church in Elk River, Minnesota. Um, are you from Elk River? My dad is. Fantastic. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, at this church, they, while I was there, it was like a, a mission, like a new start, and they were kind of experimenting. And they ended up buying a building. It was a bank on the river of the Mississippi um, and they bought a bank for the church and turned the vault into a bathroom. <laughs> what a cool place to make a deposit, right? <laughs> I love poop jokes. <laughs> I have a five-year-old. Um, where am I? So, so then uh, I, I went to seminary because everyone was saying, you know, you should really think about like going to seminary and like learning theology and being a pastor and whatever. So I kind of reluctantly enrolled in seminary. And while I was there, there's this two-year course you have to take. It's four semesters long called Christian Public Leader. And uh, they would bring in speakers from other churches and like theologians and practitioners in like uh, you know, lobbying and, and certain activism and all that and saying, you know, the world is changing and the church needs to too. Um, but the church isn't ready to change, so figure it out. And uh, no pressure. And while I was in that class, there was this pastor who came in. His name was Greg Meyer, and he's a part of uh, this community called Jacob's Well. Have you heard of it? <laughs> and while he was talking, I remember thinking, this is kind of, this kind of a unicorn, you know, like, this can't be real. Like, he gets to facilitate conversations about stuff that actually matters to people, and he's not being held hostage by, like, the bullies in the room? Like, that was my first thought, right? Like, that's, that's impossible. I could never be a part of anything like that. Um, and I just kind of held on to that. <laughs> and now... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so eventually I was ordained five years ago yesterday was when I was ordained as a pastor. Thank you. Yeah! <laughs> they apparently give you like magic hands. I'm still trying to figure out what that... No. Weird. Um, and I spent nearly six years. I, I was working at the church I was at for six years. Um, doing ministry for youth and young adults, emerging generations, um, and, uh, and it was a good learning experience in a big suburban church in Edina called Normandale. That's where I was. Um, but throughout all, of, throughout all the experiences that I've had, I've recognized that there's, there can be a real disconnect between uh, between what spiritual communities like churches have historically been and how they see themselves and how they could be versus how they actually operate. In a, in a time like ours, like, things are shifting, right? The world is, uh, is, is changing at a rapid pace. And I feel like when there's a heightened anxiety in the world, we have a tendency to prioritize, and I know this is language you've used here, we prioritize our preferences over our purposes, right? 
Um, I'm really grateful that that's language that you, that you already are familiar with. And, and that was primarily my experience in congregations where I'm, you know, I'm trying to do a new thing and like engage people in real ways. Like we can talk about the stuff that we lay in bed at night and call out to dad, you know? Um, the stuff that makes us nervous. We can talk about that. And then a few years ago, I listened to a podcast. Um, I don't even remember the name of it, but this Franciscan priest, uh, Richard Rohr, was, is his podcast, and he was talking about uh, sort of the trajectory of Western Christianity over time, uh, from its roots all the way to now. And what he said is that what Jesus and the early church offered in Israel and Palestine was an experience or a movement. And then it moved to Greece, and it became philosophy. And then it moved to Rome and Constantinople and became organized religion. And then it moved to Europe and became culture. And finally, it landed in North America and became a business. And it shocked me to hear that truth about, in, in broad swaths, you know, big, big strokes. On your Sunday paper at some point, whether it's, you know, today or the next couple days, I'd like to invite you to consider your relationship to the, the idea of Christianity as an experience, as a philosophy, as an organized religion, as a culture, as a business. What sticks for you? What resonates? What makes you cringe or recoil at that? It'd be interesting just to, to think about that. But for now, I've, I've given you a little bit of kind of my, where I've been in my position and the things that I really chew on a lot. Um, and I'll share more over the years, I'm sure. <laughs> but I want to turn to all of us because these few weeks really are about getting to know each other a little bit better. And I want to say that I'm so grateful uh, for the search team. I know how many of you here, I know there's a few who aren't here, but hand up if, you're on the, if you were on the search team. Yeah, there's a couple. It was such a beautiful thing to see you throughout the process in action together. I felt like you all uh, really were representing a diversity that's found within this community, a diversity of belief and sort of posture towards organized religion and towards God even, uh, toward that third strand, what the, 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 the source of, of love and creativity and uh, that which is beyond our ability to understand. I was really moved by that. And I, so I got to witness through your conversations with me and now get to name the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. It seems to me that there are questions about fabric. Who are we going to be going forward? Do you feel that? Are we going to be like a super churchy church? Are we going to be like anti-church? Post-church church? Chris told me, taught me a new term this week non-dual, apophatic, post-church church. Did I get it? Are we going to be that? <laughs> or something else? <laughs> the last thing on your Sunday paper, there's a, there's a kind of a continuum uh, about your comfort level, talking about God, about the third strand, about whatever metaphor we want to use to try to understand this thing, this force, this whatever... 
Um, and I'm, I'm curious for, for you just to take a moment to look at that and find, maybe even Mark, where, where is your comfort level? Like all the way from God who? To like, yeah, I had coffee with them this morning. Give that thought for a moment. And then a, a moment of courage. I'm going to move across the room. This, is, this over here is God who? And when I'm standing sort of in the neighborhood of your comfort level, would you raise your hand? So starting here, God who? What's that? How far are you going? I'm going to go, uh, let's say to the candles over there. That's coffee with them. All right, so here, moving across, moving across. There's hands going up. We're going in front of the table. This is kind of like the midway point, like, eh? All the way to coffee with God. <laughs> what I just saw is that there is not only is there diversity in the room, but I saw that we are a community that can name that out loud. There's diversity in the room, and yet we're here together. I'm glad about that. I'm glad about that. Just yesterday, I took my kids to uh, one of their best friend Bryce's fourth birthday party. It was at Edinburgh Park in Edina. Uh, cold day in the winter on a Saturday, indoor park, four birthday parties. <laughs> Can you imagine the chaos? <laughs> it was so wild. There's like hundreds of kids. I, there could have been a million. I don't even know. It was like there were children crawling on themselves. I'm pretty sure I brought my own two home. It was so, it was so nuts. And I was sitting on this bench. I told the kids, I'm going to post up right here. If you need anything, come find me. And there's a mom and a grandma right behind me. And this little girl came up, and she kind of had this forlorn look. I thought she was coming up to me. And she turns out her mom was right behind me. And she said, Mom, will you come in there with me? And her mom was like, Nah. I don't want I don't want and she said she said I just want to know somebody she wasn't there with any of the birthday parties or with friends she was there by herself will you come in with me I just want to know somebody and it was a, such this heartbreaking heartwarming I don't know experience and I thought isn't that just what we all want to enter somewhere and know somebody, to be known. What I most appreciate about my early experience with you all, in fact, one of the primary reasons I'm so excited to be here with you is that while most churches that I've been a part of are filled with a similar kind of diversity from here all the way to here, that, oop, uh, it's not always spoken out loud. It feels too risky to say that out loud, right? To, to actually admit, like, I've got doubts. I don't know, I'm, I don't know but, I'm, but I'm showing up, right? This seems to be a community, though, where we can speak it out loud. We don't need to seek unity through uniformity. We find our unity in diversity, right? Thank God for that. I mean, we find that diversity here when we gather 
on Sundays. We find that diversity within your fabric groups, I've heard, um, uh, in all the ways that we show up in the world as fabric. That diversity exists, and we can talk about it. It's not scary. That's, that, that, that's fine. That's good. It's a good thing. One of my favorite gospels, there's four gospels, they're kind of the life and times of Jesus. Um, and my favorite one is John. And in, in John, um, I think Jesus kind of talks a little bit about, about this, this dynamic. He's talking, uh, he's, Jesus finds himself surrounded by this huge crowd of people. He's been doing like signs and wonders and healing people and bringing people who had been ostracized back into community and sort of making, making people mad, like the, the religious authorities of the time and, uh, and, and power, the, the powers that be. And so he's trying to describe, using these analogies, his purpose, right? Uh, why did he come? Uh, what's this all about? And they're not getting it. And so he tries another analogy to explain what he's trying to do with the time that he's got on earth. And it's, it's to liberate people. It's to free people. It's to find people who are, who are maybe on the margins and make sure that they have a place to belong and be known so that when they go to Edinburgh, they can uh, play with somebody they know. Here's what it says. It's in uh, John 10. If I can find it, here it is. Jesus said, I tell you for certain that I am the gate for the sheep. Everyone who came before me was a thief or a robber, and the sheep did not listen to any of them. I'm the gate. All who come in through me will be liberated. Through me, they will come and go and find pasture. A thief comes only to rob to kill and to destroy. I came so that they would have life, indeed so that they could live life to the fullest. I think that is wonderful (laughs) that he articulated it that clearly. I mean, over time, a lot of people have had a lot to say about what Jesus did for folks back then and what he does for us now, but I'm, I'm gonna take him at his word in this one. He's got this radical imagination for humanity that we don't have to just take life as it comes and, and accept, accept it at face value. We too can return to having a deep experience of living life to the fullest. This, I trust, is the deep value of this community that is fabric. This is the deep value living in an honest relationship with ourselves among all others alongside the spirit of love and creativity and liberation for all that really is too big and too magnificent for any of us to wrap our heads and our imaginations around. And so while it's true that I am the new guy, we are a new family here, I have confidence that because of who you already have been, because of who you are, that we are going to continue to seek life lived to the fullest throughout, uh, throughout time together with conversations that matter. We're going to continue to be woven deeply into each other's lives. We will continue to do some good weaving in the world. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for your warm welcome 
Thank you for existing as the kind of community that I need. Amen. I see you. Amen. Thank you for seeing me. Amen. Let's get to work. May it be so. Thanks for listening. May this simply be the start of the conversation. Reach out if you want help connecting with a group virtually or in the Twin Cities and tag at FabricMPLS with your own thoughts on social media. You can also stay up to date and find other resources on our website, FabricMPLS.com.